On today's episode of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast, we'll be talking a lot about the Bruins and the NHL and the recent news that the NHL is partnering with ESPN for a new uh, broadcast rights deal for the next seven years, so we'll talk about that. Um, A lot about the Bruins and their recent struggles, we'll get into all that, get into some uh, news and notes from around the NHL. Uh, We will be talking about the Celtics as we look into the second half for them, look ahead to their game tonight against the Nets. Um, We'll recap the All-Star game from this past weekend. Um, Also give you some more thoughts on uh, trades as the uh, trade deadline gets closer for the NBA. It's the 25th, so we are getting closer. Um, Also take a look at some news and notes from around the league. There's a lot of NFL this week. We'll get to some Patriots. Um, franchise tag window was earlier this week. I'll take a look at some high-profile players that have been released by their teams, see if the Patriots will maybe take advantage of that. I'll take a look at some players that the Patriots should probably be looking at as we start, or as we begin free agency next week. Um, Just some other Patriot news as well. Uh, We'll get to some baseball, talk about the Red Sox, give you guys a spring training update, and uh, we'll talk about Michael Chavis, for a little bit, his kind of conundrum coming up. So, you know, we'll figure out, you know, what might be next for for him. Um, and we will also get to some March Madness. We'll get to conference tournaments and kind of just some news and notes from those tournaments as we get closer to Selection Sunday. Selection Sunday is this Sunday. So uh, a lot of stuff on this week's podcast. So let's go. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. You can follow our podcast on uh, Twitter, uh, at NotBoston. You can follow the Facebook page. Uh, You can listen to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You can follow uh, my podcast personal twitter if you'd like at the sports guy 97 you can read some of my written content at garrett hayden sports media wrote a recent article uh, earlier this week about the celtics and the kind of a first half uh, mid-season report whatever you want to call it so i can go read that that's pinned on my uh, twitter profile uh also uh for those of you that are not you know super into the sports stuff you can go check out uh, my other podcast uh, breath, a breath of fresh life that I do with two of my best friends, Andrew Lydon and Brenna Keefe. We most recently recorded a new episode last night, so you can go uh, check that out. And yeah, that is uh, on SoundCloud. You can check out the stream. Made it a lot easier for y'all to listen to uh, the episodes. Our episode last night, we were talking about our career experiences, so um, you can... Uh, 
take a listen at that if you would like. So uh, without further ado, uh, we really need to get into it very quickly this episode because there is a crazy amount of stuff to talk about. It's like more than usual. Um, so we can just dive right into the Bruins. Um, obviously, they've been a huge topic of conversation um, in Boston in uh, the last couple of weeks. Because after, you know, a start that was red hot, 10-1-2, uh, the team has won three of their last 10 games. And, you know, yes, granted, they've taken points out of 5 of 10, but still, um, it's not good enough. Um, and especially, there just is no scoring, you know, outside of the Bergeron line, which, you know, has always been the Bruins' best line. You know, it's been one of the best lines in hockey in the last couple of years. You know, it's like something crazy. I saw that the three of them have combined for a thousand points in like maybe, maybe it was the last three or four seasons, whatever it is that they have combined for a thousand points, which is just insane. Like you think about three guys doing that, you know, in the last couple of years, whatever it is. Um, I, I thought, I thought that's what it was. I might be wrong on that statistic, but I thought that I had seen that. Um, but we know how dominant that first line is. You know, you don't need any stat to tell you how dominant they are. But the problem is, and, you know, people will, you know, tell you about, you know, oh, it's been their problem for years. And, yeah, I think in a certain way it has. Um, but that problem is secondary scoring. And right now the Bruins are just simply not getting enough of it. Um, and... You know, it's one of those things that obviously it's not all on one player. Um, you know, it's not something that you should be pinning on a single player. Um, and I know that I, you know, am, am pretty hard on Jake DeBrusque. And uh, for those of you that have listened to this podcast, you know that I am pretty hard on him. But I'm hard on him because I expect good things from him. And, you know, it just, for some reason, it's just not... It's just not happening for him right now. He is in some stretch of like 11 goals in 60 games. And I, for whatever reason, it's just not happening. And the compete level is just not at the level the Bruins want, you know, and that's not always the case every game. You know, he's not always a player that, you know, struggles with the compete level. Some nights, you know, it's there and some nights he's getting chances, but it just seems like this season, all too often, he's just not making much of a difference. He's one goal scored in 17 games. But again, I don't want to harp on one player because it's not all on him. You know, Craig Smith and Charlie Coyle have not really combined to be a good combo, you know, for much of this season. Yes, they're getting shots on goal, but, you know, Craig Smith has not been finishing. And that was one of the reasons why he was brought here in the offseason to give the Bruins someone who could finish. And that's not happening. You know, Charlie Coyle has one goal scored in the last 18 games or something. Um, you know, David Krejci doesn't have a goal this season. Now, he's not really a goal scorer. He's not really someone that, you know, you expect to score goals. But, you know, one or two or three would be nice. Um, you know, it just is like that group of guys just for some reason, just can't shake it. And, you know, 
the Bruins are, are trying a lot. You know, they're trying to mix up different line combinations. You know, they've, they're going to try plugging in Zach Senishin tonight. Um, he'll make his season debut tonight, I believe, with Jack Stadnika and Sean Corrali on the fourth line. So, um, you know, we'll see. We'll see what he can bring to the lineup. But, again, it's not going to be some magic thing. It's not going to be some, you know, savior, someone that comes in and, you know, ignites the team. Um, but it's just like you need finishing touch. And, you know, something that Don Sweeney said yesterday that, you know, that second line that they envisioned with Krejci, DeBrusque, and Andre Kasha, you know, hasn't been together for much of this season because Kasha has been out since the second game of the season with a concussion. But, you know, Krejci and, and DeBrusque really aren't making much of an impact right now. And I think that, you know, Sweeney's right to talk about that it is a major concern that they have right now. And they really need to, you know, fix this issue because... You know, if you look at the East standings right now, the Bruins are not in a good spot. You know, they are currently a game ahead of Philadelphia for the last playoff spot. Now, granted, they do have a number of games in hand on the teams ahead of them in the standings, so that's good to know. The Bruins have yet to play the Buffalo Sabres this season. They've been one of the worst teams in the league. But then again, you know, the New Jersey Devils are one of the worst teams in the league, and the Bruins have lost to them three times this season. So... You know, it's it's just like you don't know. You know, it's much like the Celtics being a team that, you know, couldn't beat the bottom feeders, but have no problem, you know, beating some of the best teams in the league. Like, Celtics have lost to the Detroit Pistons twice, three times, and they've beaten the Clippers twice. You know, what the heck? How How does it work like that? So, you know, anyway, I think the Bruins always will have teams that are thorns in their side, like, if we remember last season, Bruins lost to the Detroit Red Wings a couple times. You know, obviously the Islanders have been a thorn in their side. Bruins haven't beaten them this season, but, you know, that's a solid team. That's a good team over there. So, you know, it's 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 difficult because there's no magic answer for, you know, goal scoring. Yes, I think I'd like to see the Bruins make a trade. I think that I'd like to see them be rather aggressive. But again, like, you have to be smart. You know, when I see people on Twitter being like, oh, you have to do something major. You have to, you know, get rid of some of these young guys that aren't cutting it. And it's like, to a point, to an extent, I agree with that. But on the other hand, you don't want to be reckless. You know, someone made a comparison to, you know, Dave Dombrowski that, you know, oh, you got to be as aggressive as him. Well, it's like Dave Dombrowski doesn't have a job with the Red Sox anymore because he did exactly what you're suggesting if Don Sweeney does some you know reckless stuff you know he will be fired and he'll run the team into the ground if he does things the way that Dave Dombrowski did with the Red Sox so I just think there's a fine line between being aggressive and being reckless and the Bruins really need to skirt a line here you know and I know that with this core that maybe the window is closing a lot faster than some of us would care to admit. But, you know, I don't think that that needs to be a reason to go out and just be reckless. You know, I think that when you looked at two years ago, when the Bruins were in a similar spot, that they were struggling with secondary scoring, they didn't really have someone to stabilize that third line. 
And what did Don Sweeney do? Well, he went out and got Charlie Coyle, who scored 16 points in the Bruins' playoff run to Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final. And he also got Marcus Johansson, who was a really good, solid piece for the Bruins in that run as well. And both of the guys were outstanding at 5-on-5. So I just think, like, as much as people want to get on Sweeney for, you know, not making enough moves, well, he's made good moves in the past. And so I think, you know, if they can make a couple moves like that, you know, I think that they will be okay. But much like with the Celtics and how they've been struggling defensively, even with Marcus Smart, that it's like, if you bring him back, that's not just going to change things. So the Bruins need to change things and be able to start scoring consistently at five on five, you know, before they bring in someone. Because it's like, it's, you know, if if, if nothing changes, then it's just going to be pointless to bring in someone, you know? So I think that that change needs to come with from within. The Bruins need to start playing with energy from within. They need to start finishing. Um, so I, it's going to be interesting because the trade deadline is is coming a lot faster than I think some people have anticipated. It's a month away, and you know the Bruins are in a are in a are in a pretty tough spot right now. You know, to make matters worse, the defense isn't healthy. You know, Kevin Miller is not healthy. Surprise, surprise. Um, you know, and, and Lausanne, you know, is still going to be out for a few weeks. So. You know, as much as I mentioned that, the Bruins have actually been pretty good defensively. You know, Jared Tenorti has come in and actually has been pretty solid. You know, Vakanainen is getting some ice time. And, you know, yes, he's made a lot of mistakes, but, you know, growing pains. So it's just, there's some, there was something recently. The Bruins have given up one goal in like five of their last six or something like that. And, you know, they've, lost or won, or I don't know exactly what it was, but they've been actually okay defensively. Um, And I think for the most part, they have been this season too, you know? And so I kind of go back to people talking about Matthias Ekholm where, okay, he would be a good solid fit for your defense, but it's like at the same time, I feel like you need more help five on five scoring. And that should kind of be more of an emphasis rather than reinforcing your defense, you know, and I know that there are some injury issues, you know, Carlo obviously is out thanks to Tom Wilson being a dirt bag. Um, I don't really want to go any further to talk about that. Um, you know, obviously that play happened about a week ago, but um, I just like, I, I don't have really anything left to say about how dangerous this guy is for the NHL and, you know, I, I'm, I'm not here to talk about the play. I'm not going to argue with any Capitals fans that want to tell me that it all technically was a clean hit. Well, you know, no, it wasn't. But, you know, it's just, it's, it's just frustrating because it's exactly the type of behavior that the NHL is trying to get out of the game. These predatory hits that go after guys and hurt guys. And I, I just think it's preposterous that the NHL, ha- the Department of Player Safety has this, you know, after 18 months after suspensions, you know, you are no longer a repeat offender. I mean, I know that they treated Tom Wilson like a re- repeat offender and gave him seven games, which I think was was good. But 
you know, at the same time, it doesn't change the way he plays. He's going to still go out and play the same way that he does. And I'm not saying that he should just be kicked out of the league, but it's kind of getting to that point. And at the same time, it's like, yeah, he's a solid player. He's actually, honestly, a very good player. But it's just like, the way that he plays is so dangerous. That play on Carlo was so dangerous. And it's just... I, I just think that we we are going to get to a point where he is going to end someone's career, where he is going to, you know, deliver a Matt Cook-type hit to a player like Savard and is going to end their career, you know, or God forbid, worse. And it's just... I, I don't want to wait for that to happen. I don't think any of us should want to wait for that to happen. Um, so I just... I, I don't know what is going to change with this guy, you know? And it's just, it's it's just kind of unbelievable that there are people that continuously, you know, come to his aid or, you know, immediately are like, oh, well, you know, Bruins fans shouldn't be complaining because, you know, Marshan's the dirtiest player in the league. Well, I don't know. When was the last time Marshan got suspended? When was the last time... I, I, it's just, I, I don't want to get into this. So it's just unfortunate that the Bruins are, are shorthanded defensively. And I think that that's affected them a little bit, but offensively, you got to start scoring, you know? And I think that Don Sweeney's made it clear that if guys don't start playing better, they're going to get moved. And, you know, I don't want to harp back on Jake DeBrusque, but I am getting pretty irritated with some people that are are not really giving him as much blame as he should be getting. You know, I think that there are some people thinking, like, that, you know, he's a young player and he's a young forward and he's had success in this league, and he has, but when was the last time he had really good success and a good stretch of play? It's been a while. It's been a while. You know, I think some people are cutting him too much slack because of how he's performed in playoff series in the past. You know, he had 19 goals last year. You know, his goals or his point totals have gone down three years in a row. You know, probably will go down again this year. Um, and so I think, you know, unless something drastic changes with him, you know, I think that he'll get traded. And honestly, I think even if he starts playing better and starts scoring goals, he might still be traded. Um, because obviously right now, he's probably not at a good trade value you know, based on the way that he's playing. So, you know, we'll see. But I think, you know, going back to the deals that Don Sweeney made two years ago, you know, they traded Charlie Coyle. They got they got Charlie Coyle and traded a, a young, talented forward. Stop, stop me if you've heard this before. <laughs> and so I think you could very well see something like that. You know, not a one-for-one trade, but you could see Jake DeBrusque included for a package if the Bruins go out and try to get Philip Forsberg, if they go out and try to get Kyle Palmieri, if they go out and try to get Taylor Hall, um, you know, I think that there's a very good possibility that could happen. Um, so I think just going back to the trade thing, like, I think you should be aggressive, but not over-aggressive, not reckless. Because if you start being reckless, you know, it's not, it's going to hurt the team. And it's really going to hurt the team. And it's just like, yeah. So I think that there there's a fine line between those two things. 
So, you know, we'll we'll see. The Bruins have uh, two home games this week or this weekend. They got the Rangers tonight, um, then the Rangers Sunday after or Saturday afternoon. So, uh, it will be interesting. So Zach Senishin obviously in the lineup uh, tonight, but not much changes really uh, for the Bruins in the top six. I do think DeBrusque is back in the lineup. So, you know, we'll see if he can you know, play better after being benched, you know, and I think that he's had some benchings in his career that have actually been good, you know, that he's sat down for a few games in the past and he's performed well, you know. I think that, honestly, this might be his last chance that if he doesn't start performing, they're probably going to trade him sooner than the deadline, probably. So I think that his time is running out, you know, Anders Bjork is another player that I think he's not playing tonight, that honestly his time might be running out too. So uh, we'll keep an eye on that. Um, But yeah, Bruins, two games this weekend. They got uh, a busy stretch. They got a lot of games coming up in a short period of time. They got back-to-backs in Pittsburgh. Uh, They do have a lot of home games coming up, which is good. Um, Obviously, it'll be great to have fans back in the arena in a week and a half, I think. I think it's like the 22nd or 23rd that fans will start being allowed back in TD Garden, so that will be awesome. Um, but it's a busy time. You know, Tuka Rask is, binged up, is dinged up a little bit. It sounds like Halak will go again tonight against the Rangers. Uh, Vladar, I think, will back up. And, yeah, we'll see. The Rangers have been playing better recently. Obviously, they've just gotten Panarin back. I don't think he'll play tonight. Um, but, you know, it's, it's gonna be, it, it should be a good test for the Bruins. You know, having a team like the Rangers coming in, playing some good hockey, you know, might force the Bruins to pick up their game a bit. So uh, that'll be interesting. You know, I think that there could be some similarities between this game and Friday's game against Washington last week that, you know, you could see the Bruins coming out really aggressive and, you know, yeah, you could see Trent Frederick dropping the gloves with someone. You could see some... uh, some, you know, exchanges of pleasantries and probably more. Um, so expect some of that tonight because uh, I think the Bruins will want to, you know, come out and be the aggressor, you know, maybe get some early goals, get some early chances. So uh, that will be interesting tonight. Um, so obviously big other um, NHL news is, so I apologize. I was thinking about this. The minute that I heard this announcement, so a couple of weeks ago, um, Nick Pernick asked me a question uh, from the mailbag about, you know, is the NHL looking for another, you know, broadcast uh, partnership? So I had it wrong. I didn't realize that the NHL's sp- sponsorship deal with NBC is up after this season. I didn't realize that. I thought it was just that NBC Sportsnet or NBCSN was you know, no longer going to be, or was going to be shut down. So I was in fact wrong because the NHL and ESPN announced that they will be partnering once again for the first time since the lockout. No, not that lockout, the old lockout, like from 2004. So, or 2004, 2005, whatever you want to call that uh, off season. So, uh, hockey's back on ESPN. Uh, starting in the fall, uh, you will see some NHL games, opening night games, all-star games, it sounds like. It sounds like ESPN and ABC will be broadcasting four of the next seven Stanley Cup finals. 
Um, so I think because it's not a, you know, full sponsorship deal that like ESPN won't be like fully taking over for NBC sports. There is a possibility that you could see some hockey still on NBC sports, um, that you could see the finals. So NBC will probably be bidding for the other Stanley cup finals. Fox will probably also be in the running too. So, um, that will be very interesting. I think that hockey on ESPN, once again, I think is great for the league. I know that there are some people that are skeptical and think that, you know, why should ESPN start caring about hockey? They never have in the past. Well, you know, I think that that's a decent point to bring up, but I think you also have to remember the NHL has changed a lot more in the last 15 years. You know, the game is a lot different. You know, the growth of the sport is a lot different, and it's a lot better. You know, you have a lot more people that are following the league now than were 15 years ago. I think that you have a lot better fan bases in a lot of cities, not just all, not just in cities, but just all over the place. A lot more people, I think, are interested in hockey than people realize. So I think that this will be great. You know, I think that this will be great exposure for the league that, you know, they'll get some money in that they can you know, market their players a lot better because I think that's one of the things the NHL has been has been missing in the last couple of years is, you know, properly marketing their, their superstars, you know, like the way the NBA does with, you know, each superstar kind of has, you know, a nickname or kind of like their own brand, if you will. So, you know, obviously it's important, you know, Sidney Crosby, Alex Ovechkin are, you know, the players that, that everyone knows, but not sure everyone knows about Connor McDavid in, in the United States. Not sure everyone knows about, um, you know, Austin Matthews. You know, a lot of people, you know, know a lot of things about the American players. But, you know, I think even more exposure for the league is going to be outstanding. So very curious about, you know, broadcast teams. And, you know, is ESPN going to be hiring a lot more people? You know, are people going to be hired to do broadcasting. I'm hoping that ESPN, you know, hire some women to, you know, not only be involved in, you know, studio work like someone like a Catherine Tappen, but also, you know, doing play-by-play and doing color commentary. You know, I think that they really have a huge opportunity to, you know, do some things that I think would be really exciting. That I think a lot of people would be really excited about. So, um, obviously I understand some the skepticism, but I think that it's going to be exciting. I think that bringing in Seattle this summer, you know, is going to make people interested. You know, I think that getting the expansion draft and, you know, maybe they get talked about on first take. Maybe ESPN starts talking about hockey a lot more because they're going to be forced to with the broadcast deal, but... Um, I think it's good. I think it's mostly good. You know, I know that there might be some negatives to it, but I just think it's going to be awesome. I think it's going to be great for the NHL. I'll be curious to see uh, what happens with, like, the other Stanley Cup finals, you know, or the other broadcast rights, because certainly they will. there will still be broadcast rights for a couple of other years. But, yeah, seven years for ESPN and the NHL. Uh, it sounds like NHL.TV will you know, no longer really be necessary as a lot of stuff will move to ESPN plus, um, and Hulu, I believe. So I think rest of the NHL will just take a quick look around, 
uh, before we get to more stuff. Um, let's see. Go to the NHL. We'll you know look at some standings, uh, some teams that have been playing well recently. Um, so if we if we look at the North Division, or excuse me, actually the Central Divisions first. I wonder why that that is. Anyway, uh, Tampa Bay atop the Central, a one point lead over Carolina, two points over Florida, and then seven points over Chicago, who is in fourth place. In the central, so Chicago has really been a team that has benefited from a number of teams in the central doing very poorly, uh, specifically Columbus, Nashville, uh, and Dallas. So I think Chicago has taken advantage of that. But you know they they've been a solid they've been a solid team um, this year. You know Kevin Lankinen has been really really good. Um, for them, you know, Debrinket and Kane are always fun to watch. Um, they have a decent group of young players. So uh, they're a team that's been the beneficiary of some teams playing poorly. Um, but really the story of this division are the three teams in the, the southern uh, part of the division. Tampa Bay, Carolina, and Florida. They've been a lot of fun to watch. I mean, we know how good Tampa Bay is. But uh, I still think a lot of people still don't know how good Carolina is. Um, so... They've been playing great. They've won six in a row. They're nine and one, nine one and one at home. Uh, Florida has been great. You know they've been a great story this year. They've been playing some really good hockey. Um, so I think really those three teams are, are the teams to beat right now um, in the central. In the north, you know, kind of has looked. It looked like for a while Toronto was going to run away with the division, but you know Edmonton's making some noise. They won seven out of ten. Winnipeg has also won seven out of ten. They're five points back of first place with two in hand. Um, Toronto does have a game in hand on Edmonton. So Edmonton, you know, has started to play better. Mike Smith has surprised me as of late. He's been playing really good hockey. He's been really good in goal. Uh, McDavid and Dreisaitl, obviously. You don't really need to analyze what they've been doing. They're just really good. So I think that, obviously... The playoffs are going to be exciting. They're going to be awesome with the division playoffs. But holy cow, like, can can we please just get a seven-game series of the Leafs and the Oilers? I, like, I would pay so much money to see McDavid and Matthews go at each other in a seven-game series. Like, just think of, oh, man, just, like, thinking about that makes me so excited. Um, you know, Winnipeg's also a team that could give both of those teams a good series. Um, you know, Montreal has been playing all right, I think, since since Claude Julien's firing. But, you know, again, I think that Montreal is a team that's benefited from Vancouver and Calgary really, really struggling this season. Vancouver's been playing a little bit better as of late, but, you know, they've just really struggled for the majority of the season. Calgary's also been struggling. Um, Ottawa's been playing a little bit better recently. Um, they are up to 19 points, 5-5 five and five in their last 10. I know that they're bad, but they've kind of been a fun team to watch. Um, in the West, uh, Vegas is still a top. Vegas has had a number of games that have been postponed, so they have three games in hand at the moment um, on second place St. Louis. But Vegas leads the West, St. Louis two, a point back, Minnesota two back, and Colorado three back. 
the West division has honestly been fun to watch this year. You got Los Angeles. That's been surprising. They've been pretty solid this year. You know, Arizona is always a fun team to watch. Um, Colorado, a lot of talent there. Minnesota to me has been the story of the first, you know, half, uh, or we're almost at the first half of the season, but we're almost at the halfway point. Um, but they've been so much fun to watch. You know, they're a team that has a lot of young talent. They got a lot of good veterans. They're a team that keep your eye on because I think that in the NHL playoffs every year, there's always one team that goes so far and no one expects. I think Minnesota could be that team this year that, you know, I think the Western Conference, you know, I say Western Conference, but like Western Division, I think looking at that division, it really could go any way, any direction. I also think the same way about the Central, but um, you got teams in this West that feasibly you have four teams in that division that could go on a deep run. And some of the, some of those teams could even win the cup right now. Um, and you have a team like Los Angeles who's playing really well. You know, they're a team that's a really interesting mix. They have a lot of, a lot of young players, but I, I will say, and like one of the things about sports is, you know, you have teams that compete for championships and teams that win championships and, you know, then have to rebuild and have to do it, you know, kind of harshly. But I will say that the veteran group of the LA Kings, I've been so impressed by them this season that they've stuck around, that they have continued to play and continued to be there as, as, as mentors to younger players. Drew Doughty, Jonathan Quick, Andre Kopitar, Dustin Brown, Jeff Carter. Like these guys have all stuck around and this team's been bad in the last couple of years, but they've stuck around and they've played and they've, you know, made, they, they've made this culture just so successful. You know, they, they've won championships, but that they've stuck around and they've stuck around through the bad. You know, I think that that's one of the things that's been so awesome to see about their success this season. And you know what, honestly, they might just be having a good first half and they might, you know, not make the playoffs. They might crash and burn, but I think at least like they've played with some type of urgency, which is just awesome to see from, from a team like that, that really should have no business being in any sort of playoff race. You know, in a normal year, they probably wouldn't be in the playoff race, but, you know, definitely kudos to those guys for um, sticking around and being, you know, good mentors to some of the young players on that team. Um, so I think that that probably is is is, is it for, for our NHL thoughts. If you have any more uh, you can, you know, shoot them at me anytime on Facebook, on Twitter, um, on Instagram, uh, any of that. Um, so we will move on to the NBA. The NBA actually started the second half of their season last night. I didn't realize that there were uh, two games that happened last night. Dallas beat San Antonio and Memphis got a 2020 game from Jonas Valanciunas at 27 points and 20 rebounds, if I'm not mistaken. So good, good stuff uh, for for him last night. Um, so NBA had the All-Star weekend this past weekend, and I know that, you know, a lot of players have been in vocal disagreement of the NBA holding the All-Star game you know, during a season of, of a pandemic. And 
granted, I was one of those people, you know, I really didn't see the point of, you know, playing in, in, in an all-star game, what amounted to a glorified pickup game. You know, I know the NBA has made changes to the game in the last couple of years to make it a little bit more competitive. It totally wasn't competitive this year. Team LeBron blew Team Durant out of the water. Um, so, you know, the NBA, the game, it's going to be what it's going to be, you know. And I think at the end of the day, as much as we probably didn't want to see the game happen, I think it was good for the NBA to be able to, you know, get some revenue, to have like a made-for-TV event that, you know, probably was fun for some people to be able to watch. You know, I think that it was great that it supported the HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities, that, you know, there was a lot of a lot of good stuff that went on. You know, you had officials that officiated the All-Star Game that had all gone to HBCUs. You know, it really was something that was you know, heavily promoted during, during, during the night, um, you know, fun watching the skills competition, fun watching three point, you know, dunk contest, you know, a lot of people didn't really care. You know, I think that at this point, you know, you, if, if you've seen one dunk, you've probably seen them all. Um, but I think like, I think with the NBA, you know, the dunk contest being at the point that it's at, you need to put some 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 names in there. You know, yeah, Obi Toppin was an exciting player to watch in college, but let's be honest, like no one cares about the other guys, and I don't mean to say that in a in a disrespectful way, but you know, I just think like you gotta get Zion to do it. You gotta get, you know, guys who people are gonna get excited to see. And I know that, you know, Zion didn't do it last year because he was rehabbing an injury, you know, it made sense why guys didn't really want to extend themselves this year to do it, and I understand that. Um, but I would like to see him do it next year. I think that just would bring some juice back to the contest because, you know, if you've seen those high school videos of him dunking, I mean, I have no doubt that right now he could bring a house down uh, with some dunks. You know, I'd love to see Jalen Brown do it. I know that, you know, Celtics fans probably wouldn't want to see him do it. Probably would rather just stay fresh and not have to do a skills competition, but, uh, Hey, maybe we see Rob Williams in it in the next few years. I think that would be cool. So, you know, I think for the dunk contest, the NBA has got to bring back some marquee names. Now the veteran guys, LeBron James probably, probably wouldn't do it, but you could get Zion to do it. And I think that you could make the dunk contest fun again. You bring Zach Levine back to do it again. Um, Aaron Gordon, yeah, I mean, there, there are tons of guys you can bring in. So anyway, successful All-Star game. You know, it was great to see Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum go at each other. That was pretty cool. You know, great for Jalen to be back home, be able to play in front of some family. Um, must have been just so special for him. And, you know, it's it just like something made me smile that, you know, reading about how Jalen made made some comment that, you know, he was trying to absorb so much from this weekend and asking LeBron James questions to the point that it was probably annoying. But I just, it's something that just makes you smile. It makes you feel good that you just feel good for someone else to experience something so special. And, you know, hopefully Jalen gets to experience All-Star Weekend a couple more times. Hopefully Jason Tatum does too, you know, one or two, maybe three more. Um, but it just, I think 
we all didn't really want to see the game happen because it didn't really make sense. But I think on the other hand, you do kind of feel happy for some of the guys that got a chance to play and it's special their first time, you know, especially for Jalen being in front of family, you know, (laughs) I don't think any of us really can relate to that, you know, being able to play in a game that, you know, all-star game obviously is not what it used to be, but it's like these guys grew up watching all-star games. These guys grew up watching, you know, their their favorite players compete in these games. And it was always, you know, a fun experience. And it still is, obviously, but um, definitely some good, some positives that came out of um, the weekend. I know that, you know, prior to it, people were concerned about uh, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid not being there as they um, had been exposed to someone who had tested positive. Was a barber apparently, but obviously they did not. They did not play in the game, so you know NBA did not report any positives after the weekend. So that was good. You know, kind of a sigh of relief there uh, for that. So as we take a look at the Celtics in their second half, so um, again I'm going to plug my article from earlier in the week. But if you want to take a read at some of the positives and negatives of the Celtics first half of the season. You can go read my article that's pinned on my uh, Twitter profile at the moment. So Celtics finished the first half of the season, four straight wins, um, big win against the Clippers. Uh, when we last, I think had an episode um, and the Celtics closed it out with a win over the Raptors that they probably sweated a little bit more than they would have liked. But you know, it's, it's, it's good that the Celtics were able to close the first half on a positive note. You know, in a season that has had really a lot more negatives than positives, you know, that we've gotten to a point where, you know, the season has been frustrating. That, you know, we have people watching games where it's like it's not fun to watch them. But they got back on track, got a couple of solid wins against some pretty solid teams. Like, I know Indiana, their record isn't great, but that's a solid team. You know, L.A., without Kawhi Leonard, still still a good team. Um, so just good for them to be feel positive about something. You know, good for the guys to get a break. Good for Kemba Walker to get rest. I know Tatum and Brown, you know, competed in three-point, played in the All-Star game, but they've had some time off. So um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, what what happens for the Celtics in the second half. Obviously, the news that Marcus Smart will likely play tonight is awesome. You know, that he will be back. We're most likely playing on a heavy minutes restriction, I would think. Um, it also is good news to hear that Romeo Langford is uh, healthy, you know, from the wrist surgery. Obviously, I think he's in health and safety protocols right now, so that that kind of sucks. But, you know, it'll be good for the Celtics to be healthy. You know, it'll be good for that starting lineup to be Mostly healthy, you know, Smart's healthy. He'll work his way back. I'd be curious to see if he starts or if he comes off the bench. I would imagine that he would start, but on the other hand, I wouldn't be surprised if he was on the bench. You know, I'd be curious to see where the Celtics use him in the game. You know, do they use him in the first half? Do they use him late in the game? If there's, you know, big defensive possessions that they need stops. Um, So the Celtics open the second half tonight against the Nets. Uh, Kevin Durant still out with that hamstring injury. Um, Blake Griffin obviously was acquired, uh, I think, during the All-Star game, if I'm not mistaken. 
um, but he won't be available tonight. Celtics have two road games um, out of the gate in the second half at Brooklyn tonight. Then they're in Houston on Sunday. Then they return to the Garden next Tuesday against the Utah Jazz, which should be a really interesting game. Utah, obviously, best record in the NBA. And then one of the key things, you know, Kemba Walker, how well he played in the four games before the All-Star break at 32 points against the Pacers, 25 against the Clippers, um, and obviously has not played in back-to-backs this season. I don't know if that will change, you know, the second half of the season, probably not, but Celtics don't have too many back-to-backs. Like, they have some in the month of March, but it's really not too many over the second half of the season. Um, They do have a back-to-back when they play Utah, and then they play Cleveland, Then they will play Orlando the 21st and then Memphis the 22nd. So Kemba will sit the second ones. But obviously with Smart back, you know, it's great that guys are back and they're healthy and the Celtics get, you know, reinvigorated a little bit and try to make a run. Because as much as, you know, they've been hovering around 500 all season, most of the season, you know, I don't think that a good good seed in the Eastern Conference is out of reach. Uh, We'll take a look at the standings in a moment. But I think that the Celtics... They go on a run. They get hot. I think that they could be in store for a decent seed. You know, maybe they get that third seed. I'm curious to look at the standings um, again and see where they are. But I think that, you know, it will be interesting to see how they manage Kemba's minutes, how they manage Smart's minutes, um, you know, as they kind of get back to being healthy. So obviously I mentioned it off the top that the trade deadline is inching closer and it is. It is two weeks away. It is two weeks from today, the 25th. Been a lot of stuff about the Celtics and the traded player exception. You know, what are they going to be doing around the deadline? And, you know, I wouldn't, I, I think at this point, I would be surprised if the Celtics used the traded player exception. Um, and I'll tell you why. I think out of the players that are, you know, rumored to be available or might be available. I don't think that there's a player out there the Celtics could acquire that is going to help them win a championship and make the difference between being a good team and being a great team and going in and like beating the Lakers or beating whatever team comes out of the West and getting through the East. I don't think that there's a player that the Celtics could get that would truly elevate them to being a title contender. I, it's not to say, and this is this is challenging, because this isn't to say that they are not a title contender. You know, I just, I think that, like, there's a step that they're at right now where, you know, if they play the best that they possibly can, I think that the Celtics could make a deep run in the playoffs, much like they did last year. Um, but thing, thing, a number of things would have to go right for them. Um, but I just think... Going back to the original point, I don't think that there's a player the Celtics could acquire that are that is going to make them marketably better than what they are right now. Um, and so whether that's Vucevic, whether that's Harrison Barnes, whoever that is, I don't think that that player is going to elevate them to being a true championship contender. Um, and so this isn't to say that I don't think the Celtics will make a move. They should, because they think that their roster is good enough that they could make a deep run, but they need some reinforcements. You know, I think specifically scoring help off the bench, you know, maybe a veteran rebounder 
um, could be something that they could look into as well. Um, you know, easier said than done. I think they'd look at the buyout market. You know, are there any trades out there that, you know, could be solid additions that, you know, help them make a run? But as I said in my article earlier this week, you know, it's it's your star players. And those are those are the guys that make a difference. Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Kemba Walker to a lesser extent. You know, the Celtics are gonna go as far as they take them. You know, no traded player is going to be the quote-unquote savior, you know, I don't think there's a star player that's going to be available. I don't think there's a player that makes them, you know, a championship contender. But if Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum take another step, you know, and really become superstar players, you know, I think the Celtics could be okay. You know, I think like it's going to depend on how they play, you know, (laughs) As I said in the article, you know, the Lakers, Anthony Davis, LeBron James, they rode them to a championship last year. They didn't ride whoever they had coming in from the tra- from, a, from a trade at the trade deadline. You don't win championships at the trade deadline, you know. So I think, like, it really depends. This season depends on the play of the Stars. If the Celtics can go back to the Eastern Conference Finals, hell, maybe even the Finals, you know, I think that they will have taken a next step you know, but again, the Celtics are a young team. And I think, I don't know why people have this idea that you need to go right now and you need to go full all the way in to win a championship or else you're a failure. And it's just like Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are are young and you have years in front of you. And this isn't to say that, oh, you should stand pat and not do anything. The Celtics should do something and they kind of need to, um, but I like I don't think that they need to go out and get a superstar player. You know, I don't think they need to go out and get or I shouldn't say it like that. I don't think that there's a player that they need to go out and get to and use like all the traded player exception. I think that it might be better used in the summer for the Celtics. Um, you know, so I think that they can still make a trade without using it. You know, they might be able to use part of it and then use some of it in the summer. Um, but I'll just say this. I will be annoyed if they don't make a move at the trade deadline. They stand pat, don't do anything. I'll be pretty disappointed, but I won't be disappointed if they make a couple of small moves and they, you know, don't trade for Vucevic or Harrison Barnes or someone like that, but they add a couple of pieces. You know, maybe they bring in Isaiah Thomas or maybe they bring in Joe Johnson. Um, Maybe they bring in a, a big off of like a buyout or something. You know, some people are thinking about Andre Drummond, but I'll just be honest, like, he, he he can rebound the ball, and that's pretty much it. You know, he's not really going to help you, you know, be a, be a championship contender. And I'll be honest, like, if Robert Williams plays more minutes, I don't really think the Celtics need to, like, you know, go and really get in for, like, a big-time big that I think, you know, Robert's been playing well. He's been responding well to the minutes that he's playing. So, you know, again, I think the trade deadline, Celtics should do something, should make a couple of small moves to try to improve the roster um, and try to, you know, replenish the roster for a run into the playoffs. And, you know, who knows? Who knows what might happen? But I think it might make more sense if they wait till the summer to use that, you know, full traded player exception or most of it. 
Um, the Celtics do have Ennis Cantor's $4 million exception, and they have a $2.5 million exception from Poirier. So possibility the Celtics could bring in some guys using that. They don't have an open roster spot, though. So, you know, for them to acquire some players, they're going to need to trade some of the players that they have. So it'll be interesting to see who that is if they make a trade. Um, But, yeah, Celtics tonight in Brooklyn, in Houston on Sunday. Um, They got a decent amount of home games, I think, at the end of March, early April. I think that there's like an eight-game homestand. So uh, that will be great. You know, fans will probably be back at that point. I think the first game fans can be back at the Garden for the Celtics is Monday, March 29th against the Pelicans. Celtics will be on a road trip, I think, prior to that, a four-game swing in Memphis, Milwaukee, and Oklahoma City. But fans at the Garden against the Pelicans on March 29th. So that will be something to look forward to if you are a Celtics fan and you are interested in going to games. I'm not sure you know, how that's going to work with season ticket holders or people that you know are trying to get trying to get to games, but it's just uh, it's great stuff. Um, so we will now move to the NFL, talk about the Patriots, and there's a lot of stuff to get to for the Patriots. So uh, free agency will begin next Wednesday, the 17th, and it's going to be crazy. It's gonna, I think that this season, you know, is just going to be crazy. You've seen a lot of high-profile players that have been released or, you know, that won't be signed to new contracts, that they'll be, you know, hitting the open market. Um, and I think the Patriots can take advantage of that. I mean, they really can. You know, this isn't, like, you don't need to sign guys to big deals. Like, you saw the Dolphins releasing Van Noy. We talked about this last week. You know, you could get him for pretty cheap. You know, you could get some of these guys fairly cheap, you know, being released, being cut, and the Patriots should absolutely be trying to take advantage of that. Um, Our guys that haven't been franchise tagged, uh, that was, I think, the window that closed earlier this week. Hunter Henry wasn't tagged by the Chargers, which I thought was interesting. The Bears franchise tagged uh, Allen Robinson, which was interesting. Uh, Chris Godwin got franchise tagged by the Bucks. Um, And then Dak Prescott with the new contract with the Cowboys. That was pretty crazy. So a big commitment there. I think it was four years for 160. I think it was 120-something guaranteed, I want to say. So, you know, big investment there. Um, I really never thought he was hitting the open market. You know, I really never thought that that was ever going to happen. There were some people, oh, you know, with the Patriots, grossly overpay for him. I'm glad that they didn't uh, because, yeah, I would never give a quarterback that much money. I don't care how good he is. Um, So I think... You know, again, Patriots should be able to take advantage of this. Uh, Malcolm Butler was released, which I thought was interesting because uh, he had an outstanding year last year. I don't think he'll be someone coming back to the Patriots, but you never know. If the Patriots decide to go and trade Stephon Gilmore, you know, maybe they bring him back. So I'm not really sure uh, what would happen there. The Chiefs uh, released Eric Fisher and a number of offensive linemen. So interesting. Things might change there for uh, the Chiefs. So, um, trying to look at some big names that, you know. So, these aren't all guys that were released. These were just players that um, were either released or that are scheduled to be free agents. Something I found interesting, uh, Jarrell Casey and A.J. Boye, uh, I think were both released by Denver. 
Um, and I think the Patriots, you know, could be interested in someone like a Casey. I think that the Patriots really need to, you know, beef up the defensive line, specifically defensive tackle, because they need to be better uh, defending the run. I think that's really kind of the biggest thing um, for the Patriots in terms of their defense this season. They were way too easy to run against uh, last season. I think that, you know, having some of the opt-outs back, you know, having Hightower back is going to be huge. I think Chung, too. I mean, I think the Patriots have a secondary that is really good at tackling, and I think that, you know, having Chung back could really be huge. Um, But run defense, that's what they need to be, you know, most concerned with. Um, Pass rush, I think, also, to a lesser extent, I think that they need to get to the quarterback. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do to address that, you know, if they go out and get kind of a a big-name player or do they try to go – the route of looking for value, and that's what Bill Belichick always does. Some people hate him for that, but uh, I, I hate to tell you it, but it's kind of worked out for the Patriots over the last 20 years. So um, I think in terms of you know the quarterback, you know, I think I've kind of said my piece about it. I think the Patriots might be you know in on Garoppolo, but I also think that it's worth saying that you know Lynch. The general manager in San Francisco doesn't really want to trade him, that they intend for him to be the starter. But on the other hand, you know, trading him would save a decent amount of money for them. So um, it's not unreasonable to think that that could possibly happen still. You know, I think that that's kind of the Patriots' main goal. And if it doesn't work out, you know, maybe they look into the draft. Do they look into trading up? You know, do they look at someone in free agency? I think that, you know, there are not a lot of great names. I mean, there's... Trubisky, Marcus Mariota, like, not really anyone that excites you. Um, You know, I think in terms of the offensive side, Curtis Samuel is someone that the Patriots, I think, should be looking at. Potentially Emmanuel Sanders. Um, Obviously, Allen Robinson is off the board. I think Kenny Galladay would be someone to look at. But I think the Patriots got to be really careful not overpaying certain guys. And I know it's free agency, and I know that that's going to happen you know, overpaying just naturally happens, but the Patriots are smart with their money. You know, they're not a team that's just going to go sign players to, you know, exorbitant contracts. That's not to say the Patriots won't be giving out money to guys because they definitely will. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they brought in Johnny Smith or Hunter Henry at tight end. You know, I think that tight end's a position that Patriots had no production out of last year. Uh, between the three, Izzo, Keen, and Asiasi, uh, it was like they had 20 receptions or something like that. So I think that the Patriots don't necessarily need a big overhaul, but I think bringing in a player like Johnny Smith would make a lot of sense. I think he would be the player that I would prefer just because he doesn't have an injury history uh, like Henry does. And, you know, you don't you don't need a... You don't, you don't you don't need a Travis Kelsey a tight end for the Patriots. Like you can have a solid tight end who can give you some good receptions in the red zone, can catch some touchdowns. Um, but I really think the Patriots need to be thinking about grooming Ossie Ossie into kind of that big role. Um, and so getting someone like Johnny Smith, I think, would make sense. But it's like you don't need to get like an unbelievable tight end. Like you could get a decent tight end like him sign him to a three-year contract and, you know, work with him and Ossie Ossie and give you some a good good two tight end looks, which I think the Patriots 
have been missing for a while. So, you know, I think that I, I would be in, in, I'd be in favor of that wide receiver. I just, I'm concerned about overpaying, you know, and overpaying the top guys, you know, Smith Schuster, uh, Galladay, who I just mentioned, uh, Marvin Jones. Um, I think that they could be in the market for a receiver. I think Curtis Samuel would be a guy I'd love for them to go after. Um, but there might even be someone I'm not even thinking of that might be a solid value for them um, at wide receiver. So speaking of wide receiver, the Patriots, uh, I heard news that the Patriots are listening to, um, or well, teams called the Patriots asking about Nikhil Harry's availability, which is interesting because that must mean that there are teams out there that think that he could be a solid fit for their offense, you know, kind of more of a, a vertical threat, you know, and I think that he's a receiver that kind of needs to be or should be in a vertical offense. Um, and, you know, an offense that throws the ball a lot down the field, the Patriots aren't really an offense that's built that way. You know, this isn't to say that, oh, Brady couldn't throw the deep ball, but the Patriots offense is way more constructive concerned with kind of the short in-between passes, you know, timing routes and things like that. Um, So, you know, I think, it's, it's, it's difficult because, you know, Nikhil's a guy that obviously had a lot of talent coming out of college and, you know, was picked in the first round for a reason. Now, I know it's not worked out, but there had to have been a reason why he was picked in the first round. And, you know, I think that he's got talent and, you know, can be successful in this league. It just might not be with the Patriots. And I think, you know, I'm not, I guess I'm, you know, confused as to why the Patriots would draft him, you know, knowing the way that their offense works. And he's a, a player that might not work too well. And maybe they were trying to fit you know, a square peg into a into a circular hole. And it just, it just hasn't worked the way that they've wanted it to. So, you know, very well, you could see him get moved. You know, I think that if I'm the Patriots, you got to get something back, got to get a decent value for it, because I know that, yes, it's not been performing, but he's a former first round pick. You should at least get a third or fourth round pick out of that. And people are like, oh, you know, treat him for a bag of footballs. Well, you know, you should want to get some value out of a player just because you don't like a player and think that he sucks, you know, doesn't mean that the Patriots are going to treat him like that. They're just going to trade him for like a seventh round pick or something. It's like, you should want something back. You should want, you know, the team to be smart in each and every deal that they make. But then again, it's just, I, yeah, I don't really want to get into it, but um, it's unfortunate, you know, the, things that have gone wrong for him in his career, you know, obviously getting injured in his first preseason, you know, playing eight games, kind of being behind the eight ball, um, and then having the pandemic, having a different quarterback, and then having a quarterback this season that really wasn't accurate, really wasn't great at getting him the football. Um, So could he be better used in a different offense? You know, probably, but um, it'll be interesting to see what transpires with that. You know, do the Patriots think that they can, get some solid production out of him? Or do they think that, you know, no, we've tried, we've tried all we can. And we think that, you know, we go a different direction. So I think that will be very interesting to see what ends up happening for him. Um, 
Other Patriot news, Trent Brown is back. Uh, the Patriots made a trade for the offensive tackle uh, who had played for the Patriots in 2018. Obviously won a Super Bowl, big part of that offensive line that was huge for the Patriots in that Super Bowl run. Um, so he is back. Patriots traded a fifth-round pick next year for Brown and a seventh-round pick next year. So Patriots swapping picks, getting Trent Brown. So uh, Trent Brown had signed a, a, a deal with uh, Vegas a couple of years ago, so he's back um, in the fold. You know, I think that, you know, should, you know, invigorate the Patriots to go out and sign or uh, should ignite them to go out and sign David Andrews, get everyone back, get that line back. Um, because I think, you know, that's kind of the starting building blocks of a good offense is a solid offensive line. I think the Patriots should make every effort uh, to re-sign David Andrews and really kind of reinforce that offensive line who, you know, likely is going to lose Joe Tooney, but, you know, it still can be a position of strength. And I think that opening up holes for the running game is only going to make things easier for the passing game. Whoever that involves, whether it's Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, if they trade up and get Trey Lance, if they bring in some other, you know, veteran quarterback that becomes available somehow, they're not getting Russell Wilson, they're not getting Deshaun Watson, so you can just stop it. (laughs) But yeah, you know, it'll be interesting. It'll be very interesting. So free agency opening up for the Patriots and the NFL next Wednesday. It's going to be really crazy. Um, I think just before we move on, uh, I think it makes sense to look at some free agents. Um, another player that I thought could be a decent uh, addition for the Patriots player who got released, Carlos Dunlap, uh, who got released by the Seahawks earlier in the week. You know, He's a player, still has some value, obviously had a long time in Cincinnati, was traded to uh, Seattle during this season. He's a guy that, you know, is older. He's been around the block, but I think Someone like that could really help their pass rush. Um, so I think that that could be something that um, the Patriots should be looking into. Uh, Trent Williams is the number one free agent uh, offensive tackle for, for Washington this past year. So he was likely kind of the number one free agent on the board. Um, Aaron Jones, I think, is scheduled to be on the board, but I think that uh, the Packers probably are going to be able to lock him up. Um, at some point, just some other free agents, obviously Kenny Galladay, we talked about him, um, had a lot of injuries this past year, but, you know, still is a very good player. Uh, Clowney is a free agent. I think that unfortunately his price tag may be a little too high. Um, if, if, if I'm the Patriots, um, and I know that yes, they have a lot of cap space, but you still want to be smart with your money. I think that Yannick Ngakwe, uh, would be someone to be interested in. He um, played in Minnesota and Baltimore last year. Um, the only knock on him is that he's not great against the run. Um, and I know that, you know, he's more of kind of an edge rusher, but, um, you know, the Patriots need to get guys that are good against the run. So, you know, I don't know. Kind of be curious to see if that happens. Will Fuller obviously is kind of a is kind of a high-profile player, but I guess I'd be surprised if the Patriots, you know, looked at him just because it's like he's had a couple of suspensions. He's had some injuries. It just feels like it would be more of a risk uh, than a reward for him. Um, Curtis Samuel, I think, would be a great add for the Patriots. Uh, give them kind of a Tyreek Hill type player. Um, Smith-Schuster, 
I, I would be very surprised um, if the Patriots took a look at him, but who knows? Um, you know, Johnny Smith, I think, would be a better addition than Hunter Henry. Like, I think either of them could be great additions, but I think, you know, Johnny Smith would be a guy that I'd be more interested in than Henry, just based on the injury history. Um, you know, Corey Davis is another receiver, but I feel like he would be, again, you know, too much of a risk for the Patriots. Um, so, yeah, just some names to keep an eye on. Justin Houston uh, would be someone to keep an eye on. Patriots could absolutely be interested in the veteran. He's been around the block and still be a solid, pro- productive pass rusher. Um, so I think if the Patriots don't go big and don't sign someone like Ngakwe, they could absolutely be in on Justin Houston. Um, Hassan Reddick, I think, would be another edge rusher that, you know, probably would be, you know, probably might be a little bit too pricey, but I think I wouldn't be surprised. Jayon Brown is another guy that I think would be very interesting uh, to look at. I think he would be a very realistic target for the Patriots at linebacker. Yes, I know Hightower's back, but I think they still need to kind of replenish that position. Jayon Brown could be someone that I think could very easily be a Patriot. Um, obviously, you know, four seasons with uh, Mike Rabel could absolutely be, um, you know, staying with the Patriots uh, coaching tree. T.Y. Hilton would be someone to maybe keep your eye on as kind of a, a low-key free agent, not like a big-name player, but someone the Patriots could absolutely bring in as kind of a veteran. Guy who's been around the block, you know, could help kind of, you know, usher in that new new era um, without Edelman, or maybe Edelman's here and, you know, doesn't play as much. It'll be interesting, very interesting to see uh, what's next for Julian. Um, I would not be surprised if the Patriots cut him. I know that that might surprise some people, but I really wouldn't be surprised. Uh, Marcus Cannon is also someone else that might shock people, but I think that he could absolutely be be cut at some point. But yeah, keep your eye out. Patriots are going to be busy uh, with a lot of cap space. And who knows, there might even be a big time trade that changes the landscape of things. So uh, we will see. So we'll move on. Uh, Red Sox spring training game. They're uh, playing the Twins right now. I think that they are four and five in spring training. You know, a little bit of a mixed bag, some good, some bad. You know, again, don't take too much stock out of spring training. Um, it is interesting that the Red Sox are planning to uh, start all five of their rotation guys um, in games maybe this week or next week, you know, which is good. So at the moment, it looks like it is uh, Eduardo Rodriguez, Garrett Richards, Nate Avaldi, Nick Pavetta, and oh my God, I knew I was going to forget that the last player. Um, <laughs> that's embarrassing. Uh, Martin Perez, that's who it is. Um, so... It'd be interesting. It'd be interesting to see how those guys do. Uh, be curious to see how much they pitch. You know, are they going to pitch, you know, five, six innings like they would normally? Um, so I think that will be interesting. Uh, Franchi Cordero is back in the fold. He uh, was under COVID protocol, but I think he's back working out. Be curious to see when he gets into game action. Be curious to see when he, you know, is available to play. Hopefully he's good to go by spring tra- by opening day, maybe a little after. We'll see. Uh, Bogarts has been out of the lineup. He's had some shoulder issues, but not something that the Red Sox are expecting are going to keep him from opening day. So 
you know, I think that, again, the Red Sox could be an exciting team. You know, a lot of it hinges on the pitching, especially the starting rotation. Um, you know, I think the bullpen, if if the starting pitching is solid enough, the bullpen could be a difference maker. But again, I think if the pitching rotation really struggles, the bullpen really could be taxed. And you really could see guys struggling, especially if the rotation gets off to a tough start. But, you know, I think that there are things to be excited about Eduardo Rodriguez being back. You know, Nate Valdi is a guy that, you know, always pitches well early in the season. But, you know, obviously it's no guarantee that he's going to last all season. So, uh, you know, we'll see. So just things to watch. Bobby Dahlbeck, you know, is hitting the crap out of the ball when he's hitting it, obviously. He's, Strikeout numbers are still pretty high, but uh, it sounds like he will probably get a lot of the starts at first, which, you know, brings me to Michael Chavis, who, you know, burst onto the scene, had some success for the Red Sox in 2019, um, you know, struggled a bit last season and, you know, not really sure where he's going to be in the lineup, you know, seems like Kike Hernandez probably will start at second. So not really sure what's next for him. You know, is he going to be a platoon guy with Dahlbeck, but I also think, you know, Marwin Gonzalez is also going to be part of that. So I don't know. Is Chavis a guy that could be squeezed out of the Red Sox? Maybe. Um, it'd be too bad. You know, I thought that he played pretty well for them a couple years ago. Um, you know, so I don't know, you know, could things change for him? Could he be on the way out? It's possible. Um, but I think that, you know, we'll see how Dahlbeck does. Um, you know, with, with this, with, during this season, you know, are the strikeout numbers, does he keep those down? Who knows? You know, it might be a tougher ask for him to keep the strikeout, just strikeouts down, but, uh, but, but we will see, um, you know, not really any other baseball news. I mean, I think spring training, we're still in full swing games going on. Um, some games on ESPN, um, you know, definitely will want to have uh, Eric Bellier in in the next few weeks as we get closer to spring tra- as we get sp- closer to opening day. I think we are uh, like three, maybe a little less than three weeks out. Um, so hopefully we'll have him on in the next couple weeks, doing maybe do a full on baseball preview. Yeah, we'll see. Um, so I think that's probably it. So now we will get to March Madness. Obviously, the big news this morning. Uh, Duke dropping out of the ACC tournament because of a positive test. Um, And it kind of was too bad because, you know, Duke had played pretty well in their first two tournament games. They beat uh, Louisville, I think, last night, I want to say. So, um, obviously, they will not play. They were scheduled to play Florida State today uh, in the ACC tournament. So, you know, they are... They are they're out of it, unfortunately, and you know it's it's unfortunate because you know Duke has had a lot of issues with the virus this season, whether it's them or the teams that they're playing, you know, and not surprisingly, they've had struggles, you know, playing this season. You know, I think that they've not been as dominant as they usually are. They've really struggled this season, and um, you know, it's it's too bad that you know something like this had to keep them out of potentially a tournament like I think that you know they probably would have needed to win the ACC tournament to get into uh, the NCAA tournament they were kind of on the bubble but obviously I think that safe to assume that they probably won't be in now um, 
So, you know, it just, it, it sucks uh, for, for them. But I think that, you know, this tournament is going to be interesting. You got probably no Duke, you know, if you're not getting Kentucky, you know, not a lot of Blue Bloods. You know, you could see a really exciting tournament that we really honestly don't know who will win. I know Baylor, Gonzaga, Michigan, Ohio State, you've had a number of those teams that have been good all season long. Um, but I really think it's anyone's game. So um, looking at the conference tournaments, we have some games going on right now, actually. A couple of these games in the Big 12, Oklahoma State and West Virginia are playing in the quarterfinals. Oklahoma State has a two-point lead with under a minute to go. So take a, you know, see how that game turns out. Syracuse and Virginia are tied at 54 right now, eight minutes to go in the second half. And then Villanova has a six-point lead, 52-46, to 46, over, over uh, Georgetown with uh, under 13 minutes to go. Um, so, some conference tournaments have finished. You have a number of conference tournaments going on right now as we speak. Um, so, here are the teams that have clinched spots in the tournament already. So, in the Atlantic Sun, the Liberty Flames will be going. Liberty... Um, Went to the tournament in 2019. This is their fifth tournament appearance. In the Ohio Valley Conference, Moorhead State will be going to the tournament. Their eighth tournament appearance, their first appearance since 2011. In the Big South, Winthrop will be going. Their 11th appearance, their first since 2017. Uh, Missouri Valley Conference, uh, if you remember the Loyola... Loyola Chicago Ramblers... You remember them from 2018. They made a deep run to the Final Four, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, made the Final Four. Obviously, the story with uh, Sister Jean uh, became you know, an overnight celebrity. Um, so they are back in the tournament. Uh, obviously, it's their first appearance since 2018, seventh overall as a school. Uh, Appalachian State. Uh, people think about them as a football school. They are a basketball school now. They have made the tournament, uh, beating Georgia State in their conference championship out of the Sun Belt. It is their first tournament appearance since 2000, their third tournament appearance overall. UNC Greensboro has has gotten in, winning the Southern Conference, their fourth tournament appearance. Uh, Cleveland State winning the Horizon League. This is their first tournament appearance since 2009. Uh, Mount St. Mary's is back in. First appearance since 2017. Sixth overall as a school. Uh, Drexel will go uh, their fifth tournament appearance. Their first appearance since 1996. So a couple teams not been in the tournament for a long time. So Drexel is back in. Uh, Oral Roberts winning the Summit League. This is their first tournament appearance since 2008. Uh, Gonzaga beating BYU in the West Coast Conference Championship. Uh, Gonzaga finishing the season undefeated. Their 22nd consecutive NCAA tournament berth, so they are back in most likely, uh, will be the number one overall seed, I think people would think. Um, So I will now take a look at conference tournaments in some of the major conferences. I will take a look at the Big 12. Obviously, I just mentioned that Oklahoma State and West Virginia are going down to the wire. Um, so I'll just give you guys a quick check on that score. Um, Oklahoma State, three-point lead over West Virginia right now. 16 seconds left in that game. So in the Big 12, 
They are in the quarterfinals right now. So West Virginia, Oklahoma State playing right now. Baylor, Kansas State are next up. Baylor, the number one seed in the Big 12, going up against the ninth-seeded Kansas State Wildcats. Kansas and Oklahoma will play this evening. And then Texas and Texas Tech will play uh, later this evening. So championship game for them is Saturday at 5 p.m. on ESPN. Big 12 has had a pretty solid year this season. They could have a number of teams um, in the tournament. Could have as many as eight teams, I think, in the in the um, NCAA tournament. So things are pretty good for the Big 12 this year. Um, so we will now look at the Big East. First round got underway yesterday. Um... So Villanova, the number one seed, obviously they are playing Georgetown right now. Seton Hall and St. John's will start at three. And then Butler against Creighton. And then UConn having a really solid season. I think it's their first year back in the Big East. They will play DePaul tonight at nine. So UConn, the number three seed in the Big East. Villanova, the number one. The final is Saturday at 6.30 on Fox in the Big East. In the ACC, obviously, Duke has dropped out, so Florida State um, will advance to the semifinals Friday night. Uh, Virginia, the number one overall seed, they are playing Syracuse right now, are kind of lodged in a close game, that game going on. Georgia Tech and Miami will play later. Miami upsetting Clemson yesterday um, in the conference tournament. Clemson probably still going to the tournament, um, but Miami winning two conference games for the first time since 2013. Uh, Florida State, obviously, go to the semifinals, and they will play the winner of Virginia Tech and North Carolina. North Carolina had a huge win over Notre Dame last night, so it'll be interesting to see how far they go. Championship Saturday at 8.30 on ESPN. And then you have the SEC Championship turn- SEC Tournament, uh, Mississippi State-Kentucky going on right now. Florida Vanderbilt later, Georgia, Missouri, and South Carolina Ole Miss. Alabama, the number one overall seed. Yes, they're uh, good in football and good in basketball this season. Um, So they're the number one seed. They will play tomorrow at 12 against the winner of Mississippi State and Kentucky. Uh, Arkansas, the second seed. LSU, the third. And then Tennessee, the fourth. Championship is Sunday. Championship is Selection Sunday at 1 o'clock. Game is on ESPN. So that will be one of the last championship games that will happen uh, before the before the teams are selected. And then finally, the Big Ten tournament. Um, I think Michigan State and Maryland are are in the middle of a game right now. Um, And then you have Minnesota, Ohio State later today. Indiana Rutgers will play later today. I believe Penn State, Wisconsin will play later. Um, Michigan, the number one overall seed. Uh, Illinois, Iowa, Purdue. You got a lot of really solid teams in the Big Ten. A big year for them as well. So uh, championship game is Sunday at 3.30. So that most likely, I think, will be the last championship game before the teams are announced at, imagining at 6 o'clock. That's usually what it is on Sunday. So, yes, it will be it will be exciting as we um, get closer to March Madness. We are in the conference tournaments. Enjoy them uh, this week. Um, so... Uh, Honestly, I think that that might that might be it for for me this week for um, episode for for this episode of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. 
Uh, I've been your host, Garrett Hayden. Hopefully I've not, you know, changed into a different person. <laughs> um, but you can follow the uh, podcast. You can follow our Twitter page at Not Boston. You can also follow the Facebook page um, as well. I need to start updating those a little bit more frequently. Um, you can listen to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So everyone have a great rest of your day. Enjoy the weather if you are living in like Massachusetts, go out and enjoy the weather because it is actually uh, looking like it's really nice outside. So um, take advantage of the good weather. Everyone have a good weekend. Happy Selection Sunday. And we will be back with you guys next week. Probably we'll do uh, kind of a preview of the whole tournament. So we will let you guys know uh, when the next episode will be. But everyone have a good weekend and we'll talk to you next time.